0: Well, hello and welcome to the Smells Like Money podcast. Join me, Suzanne Chin Taylor, the doo-doo diva, as I interview guests who are making an impact on how we manage and operate systems for conveying and treating wastewater. As a veteran of the wastewater, trenchless, and civil infrastructure industry, each week I'll be bringing you industry know-how from industry pros who know how. Join me each week as I speak with representatives of organizations that are utilizing disruptive or new technologies and methods, and executives who are excited to share how to be successful and sustainable in our vital industry. So whether you want to learn about the latest trends in technology, in treatment or trench lists, gain tips on training and retaining great talent, or simply how to be more efficient, productive, or profitable, this podcast is for you. Ready? Let's dive right in. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Doo Diva Smells Like Money Podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of visiting with John Tonsick, a certified fraud examiner and drumroll, please, professional magician. So, John, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Suzanne. It's very nice to be here.
0: Now, you may be wondering why would I be bringing a fraud examiner and a magician no less onto the show. Well, John has a really interesting background and part of it includes a stint in a public wastewater utility. So, John, tell us a little bit about your background and, you know, how you got into fraud detection and maybe touch a little bit on the work that you did in
1: the utility. I'd be happy to do that. I am a a CPA and a certified fraud examiner, as you mentioned, and for most of the last 40 years, I've been helping people prevent, detect, and investigate fraud, and I've done that as a consultant. I've done it as an employee. I was uh, an audit director at the Atlantic Richfield Company. I did three of our five operating companies. Uh, I've been a consultant, and I work with PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, doing fraud investigations, and with the Metropolitan Water District, I retired in January as the interim general auditor for the district, which is they run the largest water treatment plants in the country, have lots of um, lots of things that they're doing right now in terms of wastewater. So it's been, it's been a very interesting experience and a, an interesting ride for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got started by accident, um, like most people who do what I do. You know, I was... I was an accountant. I started out as an auditor when there were still eight firms, Coopers and Libran, because I'm old. And uh, I ended up working for a small firm in, uh, in Los Angeles that did receiverships, mostly as a result of criminal actions that were initiated by the Federal Trade Commission and the Securities and Exchange Commission, California Department of Corporations. So I just really developed an appetite for the fun that I had Chasing bad guys. I love chasing bad guys. (laughs) Plus they're black little hearts, they're interesting.
0: (laughs) All right. So in terms of fraud, um, what actually falls under that bucket of quote unquote fraud? Like we always think of that as, ooh, you know, big felonies, you know, the FBI involved and, you know, hauling people off to jail and lock them up and throw away the key. But from what you've shared with me before we came on the show, it can actually be more subtle than that and many of my listeners right now you may not be aware of it but it's quite possible that you yourself right now unknown could be falling victim to fraud and so let's talk about that
1: happy to do it fraud let me let me just give you a definition of fraud okay. first this is just kind of a plain english definition it's an intentional misrepresentation that's relied upon by another to their disadvantage. It has to be, there's no such thing as an accidental fraud. It has to be intentional. I have to lie to you with the idea that I want to take advantage of you. You have to believe the lie and then you have to suffer damages as a result. And if you'd like, I can illustrate that with a little magic trick. Sure,
0: go ahead. For those of you who are just listening, you might want to come back and watch the video because John is actually going to show us a magic trick here on the screen.
1: OK, just a quick one. This is uh, an illustration of fraud. You've heard of three card Monty, right? Yes. Uh, i told that more money has been won and lost on this game than every horse race ever won. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know this. Anybody can play and anybody can win. All you have to do is follow the lady, the queen of hearts. Pay no attention to the nine of clubs, no attention to the nine of spades. Just follow the lady. Now, if you were paying attention, you'd be feeling pretty good about yourself right now. But had you placed a bet, you'd have been a fraud victim because I lied. Nobody can win this game. I also cheated. There never was a queen of hearts.
0: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. Just a little bit of fun. Okay.
1: So... Fraud takes a whole variety of shapes and forms and sizes. They're not all felonies. The ones that catch our attention tend to be the big financial statement frauds, and they cause the the greatest amount of damage. But the things that affect most individuals and most organizations are more subtle, and they tend to involve asset misappropriation. That's people who are trying to get their hands on physical things that they can convert to their own personal use equipment, materials, most often it's cash. About 90% of all the business fraud takes place like that. And you mentioned earlier that, um, you know, you may be a victim of fraud. It's actually quite likely that you'll be a victim of fraud. Um, 5% of every dollar that comes in the door is lost to fraud. That's the estimate by the Association of Certified Fraud Examers. And frankly, I've seen instances where I think it's much higher than that. Um, you know, I've seen it put people out of business entirely. So it's uh, it's a, a really significant threat, I think, to most organizations, and uh, it's it's something everybody needs to be aware of. And that's really the big issue. People just aren't aware of how susceptible they are or how prevalent the problem is.
0: What's the average loss? You know, in North America.
1: In North America, the average losses uh, tend to be about. Um, sorry, excuse me, in North America, the average loss has come out to about a million and a half. And um, it's uh, 647,000 is the median for people in North America and Canada. And it's about a million and a half, actually closer to 2 million on average. So you've got those great big frauds that are that are affecting the numbers. But it's, um, it's a very big problem, a big issue
0: how long does it take i mean it seems like i would imagine to reach that level it's got to be done very very slowly otherwise the fraudster would get caught very very quickly so you know, um... what does it usually take and and then i guess the biggest question is how can a business owner or any entity any organization um spot that something might be off what are some of the red flags that they should be more alert to, so that they can prevent it or stop it before it gets to that, you know, million and a half level.
1: Excellent questions. Um, and uh, what's typically been the case is it's usually taken about eighteen months from the time a fraud begins until it stops. It's been reduced a little bit in the last survey that we did. Every two years, the ACFE does a survey. It's based on 2,000 actual cases. So this isn't people making things up. Uh, It's 2,000 cases. And the average in the last survey was 12 months. But for the types of fraud that most affect business, like wastewater companies and government entities, it takes about 18 months for a billing fraud from the time it starts until the time it ends. In my own personal experience, once you get to a year, you're almost always talking about a million dollars. It's just staggering. The really smart ones, if they understand where the where the fences are and they keep their heads down, they can go on and steal indefinitely and never get caught. It depends on how good the internal controls are in the organization and how aware they are. But it's very significant. Um, The other thing you were asking me about is red flags. About 85% of the time, people who are committing fraud will show some red flags. There there are three components to every fraud. An immediate need, an opportunity to do it, and the ability to rationalize behavior. The immediate need is something that lives with inside the fraudster. I call it the unshareable problem. And it's typically them being under some kind of a pressure that they can't share with anyone. And it might cause them to do something that they wouldn't ordinarily do. Most fraudsters have never done anything wrong in their lives when they get caught. You'll never know what that hidden reason is until you catch them, but you will see red flags. There are signs. 86% of fraudsters will demonstrate some kind of a red flag. Most frequently it's lifestyle. Um, I call that immediate need sex, drugs, and rock and roll because that's really what it is most of the time. It's people who get involved in drugs, gambling, alcohol, boyfriends, girlfriends, um, lifestyle issues. Uh, I have a payroll manager, and I know you wanted to talk about that at some point, perhaps not today, but uh, a payroll manager who was making $80,000 a year, who was stealing $80,000 a month. And she was living a life that was absolutely beyond anyone's expectation at that salary level. But for some reason, her employer paid no attention to it. There are little signs out there that you can see. So lifestyle is a big one. Employees who never take vacation. Fraudsters often have to be there every day to make their fraud work and to keep it from being discovered. And often it's uncovered by accident when something happens to them. They get sick. Uh, they don't show up to work one day, and somebody else picks up their responsibilities, and they'll stumble across the secret. So it's it's a lot of work to do that,
0: and it can also be, you know, as you're saying this, this reminds me of a story of a of a friend of mine that uh, in medical, um, it wasn't financial, but they found something that was highly illegal when someone else went on maternity leave, and she started seeing that person's patients and started to see some really unusual things in the files and you know not just you know HIPAA law and whatnot but prescriptions for amounts that were not that it was illegal but things being prescribed at such a level that if somebody actually took that amount of drug they'd be dead and so it's, well, what are they doing with all of these drugs? Well, it's pretty obvious. Somebody's taking these out onto the street and selling them because they were controlled substance. And so I'm sure that there's lots of things like that that go on with, you know, people ordering more than what the company needs and then taking the excess and selling it on what's that eBay, you know, and nobody knows it's stolen goods.
1: Sure. And, and actually you just gave a very good example of an asset misappropriation, you know, that prescription pads worth a lot of money and it could cause a significant problem for the doctor who allowed somebody else to do it. Uh, but obviously if they're doing things that, you know, they're diverting stuff into, into the black market and profiting from it personally, that's fraud. Um, so the, the other thing that you mentioned is that, um, You know, in small businesses and in wastewater companies in particular, vendor fraud being a big problem, vendor fraud and billing fraud is any way that somebody can get you to pay more for something than you should or pay for something that you didn't get. And it's perpetrated by individual vendors. Sometimes it's perpetrated by vendors working together in concert. Sometimes it's perpetrated by employees and even employees who work with vendors in concert in a corrupt fashion so i've seen every one of those things in my in my course over my years of investigating frauds and they can be very subtle if you don't know what to look for they can be easy to miss
0: wow well one of the things that and i guess that goes into the you know billing schemes But this was a fact that you shared with me, and I'm just going to read this because I think those who are listening are going to be absolutely shocked. Utilities were in the top five industries with the highest fraud-related median losses. That was mind-blowing to me because I think we like to think that our utilities are probably like how could you steal from it you know how could you steal from the the water and sewer department? How could you steal from the, the electric company? they're're they're, they're giants, you know like that it just I can see what, what could somebody possibly steal? And so you having some experience as an auditor in in a wastewater utility, what are some of the ways that fraud could take place at a utility and go unnoticed?
1: And much of the fraud that takes place in government, in my experience, is uh, billing fraud, and it's the it's the it's the case where somebody through procurement manages to get the utility to pay more than they should. Uh, it happens when bids are rigged, when somebody within the organization helps sort of steer the business to vendors that they that they like or they want to choose, and they can do that by excluding vendors from the bidding process. They can do that by creating requirements that are so strict or constrained that only a certain chosen vendor will be able to fit it. And then once that happens, the vendor comes in and they charge more than they should for labor, materials, overhead, sometimes charging for things that you don't even get. Uh, It's very subtle. And if the persons who are reviewing invoices, the persons who are letting contracts aren't paying attention, or worse, are involved in collusion with the vendor, the losses can be staggering. They can be very, very large. And it's also a public relations nightmare. I mean, you just don't want that to happen.
0: So how did, when you say vendor fraud, like they charge more, but then how does the fraudster get their share of the pie?
1: The fraudster, will, often it'll be just a, a direct payment. Uh, I mean, I've seen almost okay. everything. If like it's a commission
0: a, kind of thing. Like yeah, I can if, the city They're going to pay me and then I'm going to give you a cut. Exactly right. All right. I get it.
1: Bribery, kickbacks, illegal gratuities are all part of it. And those things can take many forms. Uh, I had an employee who was embezzling from his employer for decades. And the way he got paid from the vendor that he was approving invoices that for services they were never getting, the way he got paid from the vendor was they gave him a credit card on their organization. And he just never saw a bill. They landscaped his backyard. They repaired his car whenever he needed it. They sent him on vacations, um, fishing trips, hunting expeditions. I mean, he lived a very lavish life, but no one knew it from inside the company because the dollars were just going to the vendor and they thought they were all legitimate. In fact, this guy was approving invoices for work that he knew wasn't done at all. So it's... It's it can be this can be the most damaging type of fraud in my in my mind and maybe one of the bigger threats to wastewater um, industry people.
0: Wow! So when because when you said you know billing billing schemes, I was thinking, okay, how could they how could they defraud on on billing schemes because everything is done on a meter? And so, is there can they do that? Can they actually you know you being an auditor? Can they actually fudge somebody's utility bill and then skim unnoticed or is that a little bit harder to do it's
1: It would probably be harder to do but it's certainly okay. within the realm of possibility and okay. one of the things that's having a big impact on the world of fraud both on the people who perpetrate it and the people who are trying to prevent it and investigate it is technology technology is changing rapidly and people are coming up with some unbelievably creative things that they can do to manipulate financial statements, manipulate billings. If I can get into that system, I can make it say anything I want. Uh, and unless you have proper controls in place to verify that the information the system is telling you are correct, you could be losing your shirt.
0: So, John, is you notice know, that is it? it's, was that an ounce of prevention is worth more than a pound of cure? So how can entities stay ahead of this? Or, you know, what are some of the things that they can put in place or obviously an audit if they're suspecting something that they can do to protect themselves or at least limit the amount of damage or their liability or being a victim?
1: It it involves a couple of things, uh, and and I'm going to put it under the broad category of internal controls. Um, The control environment, the tone at the top, the people who are running the organization have to be committed to doing the right thing and committed to making sure that their employees are doing the right thing. Once you've done that, you need a risk assessment. You have to understand what assets you have, what operations you have are at risk of fraud. And I do this with companies all the time. And mostly it involves sitting down with them saying, what have you got that somebody would want to get their hands on? And if it were you, how would you do it? If you were trying to steal from yourself, what would you do?
0: Oh, good gosh, you played the devil's advocate.
1: Absolutely, and and it's actually a very productive exercise. Most of them have never thought of it before, and it's kind of fun. I get the smile that I just got from you. Uh, So we come up with different things. Once you've identified the risks that you think are the greatest to you, the ones that need to be mitigated, you have to make sure you have adequate internal controls in place. And this is where you need somebody who's experienced and really understands how internal controls work. Completeness, accuracy, authorization, segregating duties. Um, Two of the biggest control deficiencies that I see involve meaningless approvals where people sign and approve transactions without really looking at them. Maybe I approve it because my subordinate gave it to me and they said, this is fine. And I just do it because they signed it. The other thing is not having duties segregated. You want to make sure that one person can't initiate and complete a transaction without getting somebody else involved.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. So for
1: example, if I'm going to be buying contract services, I wouldn't want one person to send out the information required for a bid. I wouldn't want them to receive and evaluate the bid. I wouldn't want them to let the contract. I wouldn't want them to approve the invoices. And I wouldn't want them to pay the invoices but you would be surprised at how many organizations where that very circumstance exists. It's pretty crazy.
0: But, and I could see, yes, that would happen, especially if it's a really small organization where yes. you know, let's say you have 10 or less employees and people are wearing many different hats. So in that case where you have limited staff, how could you, what would be something you would recommend that they could do to prevent what you just said, you know, segmenting that if they don't have enough people to spread that, that duty around, what could they do? Do they hire someone from the outside, or does it, let's say you've got 10 tasks that have to be on that one transaction? Do you do three with this person, three with this person, and four with this person? And, and they kind of like ping pong it back and forth and check each other. I mean, how, how do you handle something like that when you are in an organization where, like, say, let's say people are wearing many, many hats?
1: Excellent question. And you actually hit on hit on a solution that that is one that I recommend to people. I I always tell people that if I were just a, a, a small business, maybe just a couple of people, the one control that I would want to have the thing that I would want to do if I couldn't do anything else is I would want to sign all the checks and authorize all the disbursements, I would want to move the money from the bank accounts. If it's an electronic payment, I want to do the transfer. If it's a check, I want to sign the check and I want to put it in the mail myself. Because you'll be able to see sort of how the money is coming out, going out the door. And really, the same thing is if if you're taking money from the outside, if it's coming in the form of cash, probably not a big issue for most of the people that we're talking about now. Um, you want to make sure that you've got everything you're supposed to get. Set up a lockbox with a bank. Have payments come directly to the lockbox instead of going to somebody inside. Mm. Smaller organizations, you want to rotate job assignments if you can Make sure that somebody doesn't always do the same thing. They can act as a check on each other. It makes for a nice cross-training, and it also gets another set of eyes on it. If you can't do that because you don't have enough employees, you might want to have a bookkeeper come in once in a while and take a look at the bank statements. Take a look at the bank reconciliation. Take a look at the journal entries that are being made to make sure that everything is is making sense. So it's really just not letting one person do everything, which happens a lot in small businesses. Yes.
0: Yes. Thank you. Well, John, this has been, I was like, just the facts of this and then hearing what you're talking about. It's been mind blowing to me. Um, so thank you for coming on and sharing this. And actually, for those of us, you know, those of you who are listening, uh, I'm going to keep John on the line with me. We're going to do another episode for you that is going to deal with payroll fraud, which is another area that we didn't get to touch on because it's just another topic, another episode unto itself. And John is going to share with us a really interesting way of how to look at payroll fraud. And it can be one of the easiest ways that you know, you could really lose your shirt as a business owner, as an government entity, whatever. Everybody has payroll. And it is probably one of the easiest places where you could lose money undetected over a long period of time. And then all of a sudden, <gasps> where did it go? And then you have no way to get it back. And so I, John- have, I have a
1: great story that you're going to love.
0: Oh, Great. So, John, if people are interested in auditing services or meeting with you on consulting or maybe setting up ways, like you had said earlier, take a look at where you might might be vulnerable. How can they get a hold of you to get more information?
1: Um, I They can go to my website, which is www.tonsic.com. Uh, my email is john at tonsic.com. And my number is 213-716-0667. And I would be happy to talk to anybody who feels that they might be victimized by a fraud. I don't charge for an initial consultation. So I'm I'm happy to help them if I can. I also do training and I speak uh, to raise fraud awareness in organizations of all types.
0: Oh, that's great. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. And I look forward to continuing this dialogue with you for our next episode on payroll fraud. And so until then... Keep it flowing. Thanks so much for joining me, the doo doo diva, on this week's episode of Smells Like Money. What stood out to you this week? Share your takeaways by leaving me a review. You can find out more about the new technologies, creating sustainable solutions and insights on how to succeed in our vital industry by subscribing to the show. Whether you wanna learn about the latest trends in wastewater infrastructure, treatment or trench lists, You've got it all right here at Smells Like Money. If you're an industry expert and would like to be considered as a guest for the show, book a quick chat with me by visiting calendly.com forward slash the Tuit group forward slash B-A-podcast-guest or simply click the link in the show notes below. Until next week, A big shout out to all my industry friends and those who will be, you are my superheroes. Thanks for tuning in, keeping it flowing and we'll see you all next week.